This is Raptors Shootaround. It's on to the finals. A TSN 1050 playoff special. Oh, baby, what a play. The Raptors and the NBA Finals live here. Oh, yes, guy. Hour number two of the broadcast for a Wednesday. Game six tomorrow night live on TSN, the TV side. Record audience expected. On TSN 1050, two-hour pregame show, commercial-free halftime, extensive postgame as well. Jim Taddy with you until noon. Andy Petrello takes over with Leafs Lunch. Right now, let's bring in Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star. Bruce, how are you today, sir? Jim, this is day 64 in a row, <laughs> uh, for those of us writing. Uh, no, I'm, I'm really excited to see what Game 6 is, and I'm interested to see how players talk about their emotions today now that we have a couple days of distance uh, with the Kevin Durant injury, which really did, I think it hung over that game, and I think it's going to hang over the series right to the end. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That's exactly where I wanted to go. In the building, there was a noticeable uh, apprehension, I think, on both sides, uh, based on some of it based on the reaction from the crowd, but also based on the severity of the situation. just wasn't a comfortable situation for a number of minutes, and then, then the game took over again. But, but now that you can sit back and look at it and, and, and likely look at it as, so he only played because they were down three games to one, and, and that's sort of, uh, I just don't know that that's the right way to do that. And, and I don't know what the ramifications are going forward, but, but there is kind of a KD cloud, isn't there? There is, and there was in that game. <clears throat> Pardon me. That, like, I, the stuff about the crowd was one part of it because Durant gets hurt, and he's a big boy. He knew the risks. I presume that he knew that there was a risk that he could injure himself. Um, that being said, you can't say that Golden State was right to put him out. We don't know all the medical information. We don't know what they saw. We don't know what they knew. But you cannot say that that Kevin Durant should have played in that game. And then once it happened, the initial cheer, I think, was because Kevin Durant had turned the ball over and Serge Ibaka was streaking the other way and the NBA title was on the line that night and people thought every play, they were so passionate about it, they were so into it. And that's when the bad stuff happened. Yeah. The stuff that I think will taint this, this fan base for a little while. Um, Durant sitting on the floor and it pans to the crowd and you get half a dozen to a dozen people waving goodbye. Like, that's just, that's ugly. That's, that's, that's an assumption that his injury is serious enough that he's not to play the rest of the series. And you're thrilled about it. You're gleeful. That was vicious. Uh, I, I thought that was awful. There was, and you can watch the video. You can pick the people out of the crowd doing it. And all of them should think a little more about how they cheer for sports. And then when Durant gets up and takes a few steps and is limping, then that, a cheer came up from the crowd. And that's what really made the Golden State players mad, and that was bad. That was like you don't cheer injuries. I don't care if the NBA title's on the line. I don't care if the Stanley Cup's on the line. You don't cheer injuries for opposing players because imagine if it was your guy. It's just a lack of humanity, a tribal viciousness, and I didn't like that at all. And that and that then the game started again. And it's terribly sad that Kevin Durant is hurt. It's going to have ramifications not just in this series but across the NBA. It's massive and awful. And it's a shame. It's what happens when bodies break. In the game, Golden State handled that moment better than the Raptors did. And this is an emotional game. Uh, you do need uh, to play with an Im- immense amount of physicality, force, and emotion to win a basketball game at this level. And Golden State handled it better. And then after the game, the most interesting thing I heard about how this spins going forward is Steph Curry said, it's going to be hard for us 
to emotionally recalibrate because we had been waiting for him to come back and that was kind of something that kept us up and now we know he's down. And so maybe they'll play with a ferocity because they're on the edge and because they're playing for KD and because they're playing to screw those fans who cheered that Kevin Durant was hurt. But it's going to be interesting to see how the emotions spin forward for a game six. I think enough time will have passed that for the Raptors and to a degree for Golden State, it won't be top of mind. But in those moments where it was, Golden State was better and handled that very difficult moment better. Yeah, and yeah. that is part of the reason we're still playing. It was, uh, I called it innocently awkward, um, just because uh, there you are with an opportunity to win on home court and NBA championship, all one-off stuff. You're on a world stage, and now the players, because of the situation, at least three of them, Lowry, Green, and Ibaka, are forced to uh, you know, play peacemaker and, and quiet, you know, with the hands down to quiet everybody down. And that's just really, I mean, you want to talk about an emotional sway for a, for a home player to, to try and get uh, respect for a star player from the, the visiting team. That's just really awkward. I, I don't know how you deal with that. And I don't know that anybody really talked to them about it because you had to deal with the loss. Yeah, well, they, they all knew that something serious had happened. It was a non-contact injury. Now, the problem you get if you're a fan and he's down on the floor I had fans write me and say that they were up in the upper deck and they couldn't tell that he was hurt. They couldn't tell what had happened exactly. Like Kevin Durant used to lose shoes all the time, so maybe he lost a shoe. He wasn't in evident discomfort, which if you know Achilles injuries yeah. actually was a warning sign because with an Achilles, there's an initial sharp pain and then nothing. Right? It doesn't hurt after you initially do it because you snap the tendon. There's nothing to hurt. Um, so I don't know if it's a full or partial tear, by the way. We still don't have results on that. But, yeah, and so when he, but when he gets up and limps, like, you, if you watch the film of it, watch the tape, I rewatched the game partially on the plane coming back out here. Um, you can see Clay Thompson and Quinn Cook and, and Kyle Lowry going, what the hell? What are you doing? And so, again, that's what I think the fan base is going to wear. It's going to wear the, the happy reactions from Jurassic Park and various viewing parties. And I understand it. It's very, it's, it's a completely understandable. It's what every fan base would do. Like we, we, we venerate this Raptors fan base because of its opposition to hockey in this country. Not opposition in terms of trying to beat each other, but the contrast with hockey yeah. in this country and how basketball is having its moment and how it's, it's something that if you grew up, I've talked about it, when you grew up watching basketball, you felt like you were another in the big church of hockey. Um, and the passion of the fan base, right? But this is an outgrowth of that passion. It's just an outgrowth without the requisite humanity with it and the requisite empathy. But every fan base would have done that. And for the Raptors players, I have no doubt the Raptors are going to come out and be great in this game six. Um, my question is going to be, as these things get closer, you saw this in game five. As the, the higher the level of basketball goes, the harder it is to do the basic things, the fine motor things, shooting the ball, just shooting the ball. Take, go back and take a look at Game 7 between Golden State and Cleveland in 2016, and they play like their nerves are compressed. Taking shots is difficult, right? It's, it's the back nine of the Masters, and the guy, some guys' swings come apart. And that's what you get the further you go in the series. So, I mean, Pascal Siakam has been a 3-4 and four games. He's 0-12. That's like the, it's the highest level, and this is a guy who learned to shoot him this year and has been shooting them well. Um, you can see you could see in that game that I don't think Kawhi is going to have a problem, but Kawhi didn't have his best shooting game other than the run in the fourth quarter in Game Five. Uh, Fred VanVleet, Danny Green, 
Marc Gasol had a great game five. We're going to see how these guys react under escalating pressure in a hostile building where they have won three times this year. Can you close a champion? Those three threes that Golden State hit and the plays they ran to get them were championship stuff, mm-hmm. tough stuff. Like that was that was beautiful basketball and highly competitive basketball. And that's what the Raptors have to close out here. A team that is battered, bruised, limping, barely holding it together. We don't even talk about Kavon Looney's injury. Andre Godala's got about four of them. Uh, these guys are are not at their best. But you are trying to put away a dynasty and a team that has that, that will not quit until the final buzzer. And we're going to find out whether the Raptors have enough of that in them. Yeah, I, I like what you said there. I mean, sometimes when we're dealing with uh, the nuances that cost the, the Raptors the game, you're not understanding that two guys bound for the Hall of Fame can important threes at the ultimate moment and made them look easy, and that's why you sort of sloughed that off. And what you said about Siakam, I totally agree with. Um, he, for me, after the first game, has looked uh, not as confident. That's the best way I could describe it. doesn't look the same, and, and he has to fix that. Well, and one interesting thing about Game 5, Pascal Siakam has not played the last nine minutes. And because everything else was happening, no one really noticed. No one asked Nick Nurse about that. Now, the first six minutes is Pascal comes out, Kawhi comes in, goes on the run, which was awesome, by the way, which is incredible basketball. Oh, my gosh, that was Jordan-esque. And so at three minutes, Nick Nurse calls the timeout. You can argue whether he should have called the timeout. Raptors are on a run. Golden State looks gassed. I'm not sure you should have. But, okay, you still have a great chance to win the game. you got a six-point lead. At that point, you could bring Siakam back, but they kept Norm in there. Now, that's really interesting. Norm is a guy who tends to get lost on those really complicated actions, or easily lost, I would say, uh, where Steph or Clay are running around. On one of those Clay threes, Norm sticks with Quinn Cook in the corner and does not step up to challenge the shot. That's a problem. Um, I'd rather Quinn Cook take the shot than Clay Thompson, 100%. Yep. Yep. Um, so, but Norm stayed in the game. So Pascal had a bit of a squirrely night. He was playing a little too fast. He always tells himself, slow down, slow down. He's playing a little too fast, a little too, a little too skittery. Missed some layups that he absolutely should make. So maybe at that point you go, okay, this isn't Pascal's night. We're not going to run back. But defensively, he does so much for you, and you're up six. So I, I, that was interesting to me that, that Siakam didn't come back. We don't know if he's hurt. He has had uh, hamstring and calf uh, issues earlier in these playoffs, and elbow too. Um, but nobody's asked. We didn't talk to anybody yesterday. We all just flew out west uh, for the second time. So the Siakam thing, that's one thing I'm going to be interested about, is why Nick Nurse decided Pascal Siakam, uh, an essential part of this team, wasn't going to play, forget the last nine minutes, in the last three. And it could be as simple as his offense was kind of erratic enough that they didn't want him in there. But uh, I don't know what the answer is. I'm interested to find out. I mean, we, we we could look back at Game 5, and we won't know the answer to this until Game 6 is played, but it may be a, a series-altering game. Would you agree with that? It could be. Like, the thing with, at this level, Jim, and you know it, you've, you've been watching sports your, your whole life. At this level, from game to game, momentum doesn't carry, but it can build. And so... A game like that, you look at it and you go, listen, the Raptors, Raptors have played, what is it, 20 games in the playoffs? I don't even know at this point. Five, seven, six, so 18, and this is game six. So this will be game 24 in the playoffs. Um, they have had a chance to win every game but three. Game 
three in Philadelphia, game six in Philadelphia, game two in Milwaukee. Every other game, they have had a shot to be right in that game. It's games that they let slip away. And so you, you can absolutely say the Raptors are going to come back to game six and they're not going to shoot as badly as they did the last two games. They've actually shot badly the last two games. They're not going to shoot, have another eight for 24 performance from three. And they will, with the defense and everything and Golden State playing out of kind of cards to play, this could absolutely be the game they win. And it's true. But they have given a championship team life. And mm. also, remember that Philly series. Now, the matchups were different. They, they didn't shoot well against Philly because the matchups were so difficult because Embiid ate up everything within 15 feet, and they had guys between 6'7 and 6'10 flying as shooters on the perimeter. That was a big part of why the Raptors had so much difficulty outside of Kawhi shooting in that series. But we, we've seen this team go through three-point forms before. So 8 of 32, while well, the Golden State hits 20 in Game 5, is a re- it's a huge reason they lose that game. It's possible. The Raptors shot 41%, I believe, in Game 4, and 1. They shot in the, in the 40 to 41, I have to look again, range in Game 5 and lost. This team, at some point, is going to have to have a little better offensive performance. And as the pressure, pressure goes up, let's say they lose Game 6. In, or, in the last game in Oracle Arena, the best crowd in the NBA, for my money, um, against the championship team. Then you're coming back for Game 7 in Toronto. They've opened the door to all this now. Yeah. And we don't know. They can they can end it in game six. But if they don't, you have given a team that not only is playing for a guy who's gone down, but knows that this may be the end of this particular dynasty. Like Kevin Durant can walk. Clay Thompson is a free agent. I don't think he goes anywhere. But like the end of what they've built the last two years is right here. And they will be playing in a game seven, a team that in the second year of their dynasty blew a three one lead and couldn't close a Game 7, maybe they could close it this time. And like I said, the pressure in that game will be oceanic. And you've got to be able to make a shot under the biggest pressure you'll ever play in a basketball game. And the Raptors, have, a lot of them have never been here. They have opened all of this. Yeah, they have. Bruce? Now we, find out what, now we find out what they got. It's yeah. going to be fascinating. It is. Bruce, thanks very much. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Jim. Thank you. That's uh, Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star. At Bruce underscore Arthur is the Twitter account. Just on the way out, a couple of things uh, as to what he said. You know, when you're analyzing a player, especially in the playoffs, uh, sometimes you don't get the answer to this, but the first question you always ask yourself before you start ripping his performance is, is he hurt? And so you need to know that before you go down that road of, um, of bashing or just being negative with your criticism. Uh, he talked about the Raptors shooting percentage. Now I'm just going to read these out. I have the five games here. First game, 50.6. Second game, 37.2. Third game, 52.4. Game four, which they won 41.9. And the last game, 44.7. But just dreadful three-point shooting in game five, 25%. Uh, certainly something to, to improve on immediately. Otherwise, you've got a big problem. Coming up next, Micah Adams. Uh, he is the global managing editor for NBA.com. This is Raptor Shootaround, TSN 1050, TSN1050.ca. Also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Raptor Shootaround, TSN 1050. Jim Taddy with you till noon. Then Andy Petrillo takes over with Leafs Lunch. Let's bring in Micah Adams now, Global Managing Editor for NBA.com. Micah, welcome. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. We haven't talked before, so g- give us your take on what you've seen over the five games before I start going down any road. What, what have you seen? Uh, I've seen, uh, to be frank, dominance from Toronto, and I'm, I'm actually pretty surprised that uh, we're going to a game six. I think that that speaks volumes to 
um, the ability of Golden State to somehow steal away two wins here, uh, despite frankly being outplayed in almost every quarter of the series. I think the the one thing that well the two things that really stand out to me are just Kawhi's brilliance. I mean, there, that's no secret. Anyone watching these uh, these games sees a player that's locked in uh, like few like few really have ever on this stage. And the second that really stands out to me is is Toronto's defense. I think they've been spectacular in what you've seen from them really in all phases, whether it's getting back in transition, whether it's running guys and contesting three-pointers, whether it's protecting the rim. Toronto's defense is providing and, and presenting a challenge to Golden State unlike anything that they have seen over the, over the last five years here. Yeah, I find myself having to do resets because sometimes there's all this uh, extraneous story angle stuff that gets in the way of what you actually saw. And what we saw was Raptors winning by 9, 13, and 14 points and Golden State winning by, well, one point. And, and in fact, both their wins are final possession wins. So I, I, I totally agree with your assessment. You, you tend to defer because of, of what Golden State has, but, but I would agree with that. I, my only question about that periphery stuff is that I call it the KD cloud uh, based on what happened in Game 5 and, and you know, just there's a lot of uh, sort of bad vibes about uh, virtually every level of that story, and it's not all aimed at the Raptors. A lot of it's aimed at Golden State. Does the KD cloud have any effect in what you're going to expect to see going forward? I I think it would be uh, so. I don't I don't think anyone really knows. If I were to sit here and say yes, absolutely, it'll 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 definitely impact Golden State uh, positively or negatively. Uh, I'd be lying. I, I, I don't think we'll know that until until Friday. And I also think that it's, it's a, it'll be a little bit convenient, regardless of the result, for people to, you know, if if the Warriors win, it will be about oh how they how they overcame losing KD and how his loss inspired them. Or if if Toronto wins by twenty, I would be I would be a little scared that people would point to that as. Well, they were just they were just defeated after after losing losing him in, in such a in a bad fashion, and I think it takes away a little bit from uh, the actual reasons on the floors for things happening. I I personally tend to think that it's not as large of a of a looming impact over what we'll see uh, on the floor in Game Six. Micah Adams is our guest, global managing editor for NBA.com. Uh, you talked about Kawhi being stupendous earlier, and I would agree. And I almost hesitate to ask this question because I'm not trying to devalue the importance or, or the, the stunning performance and consistent stunning performance he has delivered. It's just an observation is that, you know, the, the Raptors seemed, well, they need him to do what he does, and then they eventually buy in, and, and maybe that's not the right phrase, they eventually start contributing or adding to what he's doing is that a dangerous premise going into a like a possible seven game series based on you know it has to be Kawhi first and then everybody else follows after that? I mean, shouldn't somebody be stepping up a little earlier? Yeah, I I, I completely agree, and I actually think the uh, the game before win at Oracle is sort of a perfect microcosm for that. I mean, the the Raptors ultimately won that game, but if you look in the first quarter, nobody outside of Kawhi showed up. Uh, the rest of his teammates shot one of 13 from the floor. And Kawhi, I think he scored 14 in the first quarter. They really should have been down by 12, 14, 16. After the first, they were only down by six. And, it, and it's because Kawhi sort of showed up and saved them. And the danger now of, you know, it's basically 
game six and then a game seven, anything can happen, especially when you're staring across at, at Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. I worry that, you know, if, if the Warriors come out gangbusters on Friday, that if you're going to rely solely on Kawhi to keep you in it early, uh, things can get ugly quickly. And I know they won that game four, mm. uh, but I think that's, that's the recipe that Golden State needs to actually follow. Uh, to beat Toronto um, and force force this back to to a game seven, and, and I think there was a, a pretty large part of the fan base that was sort of bolstered by that game four win. And, and when you're in the, the the final sections of game five, you're thinking, "Wow, they pulled it off in game four. They could probably pull it off again," which is a pretty dangerous thought process. It is for sure, and I, I think you know one of the it's sort of a blessing and a curse with how Toronto is. Is sort of if doing this. I meant I said earlier that they've really dominated the series uh, from start to finish. This could have been a sweep, uh, and I, I thought it was going to end in five. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons it hasn't is because of as great as all the role players have been, and there's been contributions. You know, it's it's Kawhi and then two through eight have been have been tremendous, but it's a different person every night. And I think not really being able to steadily rely on, on the contributions of one other or two other pieces every single night, I think runs the risk of what do you do on a night where both Fred Van Fleet uh, and Danny Green are both struggling? Or what do you do on a night where both Serge Ibaka and Marcus All aren't, aren't themselves? And, you know, that's, that's sort of the, the tricky piece of kind of doing this uh, by committee every night and having a rotating cast of, of supporting characters here. Yeah, and it's, it's also dangerous to look at the box score. I mean, I have the last game, and I'm looking at Kyle at 18 points. That's good. Uh, Gasol had 17 points, uh, Abaka 15 off the bench. Freddie had 11 off the bench. I mean, those are all solid numbers where they absolutely get wasted is in the three-point shooting. Uh, so I, I guess the question that, that comes out of that is, if Kawhi's going to do what he's going to do, and that's a pretty good assumption, um, and those guys are, are going to come up with those numbers again, uh, I mean, who jumps up to, to help Kawhi? Is, is it Kyle? Does he have to have a lights-out game? Is it Siakam, or is it both? I, I think, to me, the one is Siakam. I, I think Lowry has done enough in this postseason where I know he's had a couple of quiet games here or there, but I think you know he's he's been been pretty consistent there. To me, to me, it's really Siakam that can send them over the top. He's 0 for 12 from three over the last four games. Uh, none of them have been contested looks at all. They've they've all been wide open. I think 10 of the 12 are, are from the corners. And Golden State, if if they don't have to worry about Siakam in the half court, and then he's not going to force them to get back in transition, which he really hasn't been a factor on the fast break either. Um, that that hurts Toronto. If if Pascal shows up like he did in Game One, or or even if he's you know seventy five percent of what he was in Game One, I think I think Toronto walks out pretty easily on on Friday. But again, he's got to prove it. And the last couple of games, he really hasn't hasn't really been that great. Uh, some of the box score numbers have been fine, but uh, I think really his overall impact. Uh, could be could be greater than what it's been so far. Well, even to the eye test, I mean, he just doesn't look the same. He looks like he's um, not necessarily in control. He's, he's like he's not. He just seems to be like freelancing a bit. Is that accurate? I, I think it's completely accurate, and and a lot of the credit for that goes to Golden State too. I mean, oh yeah, he's he's trying to do this against Draymond Green. He's trying to do it against Andre Iguodala. Uh, you know, Kevon Looney. I know he's been hurt, but when he's been out there, he's a sensational defender. Clay Thompson is great. I mean, 
this is a this is a really hard team to have to sort of learn and grow up uh, in the moment on this stage in the finals. Uh, so you know some of that some of that is not just on Siakam. Golden State is certainly doing things to to make him struggle, but uh, I would agree with that completely. Yeah. Michael, let's go to the other side of the court. Uh, the Warriors, uh, I think we got the, the Curry-Thompson full look for the first time in the series in, in terms of not just the individual performance, but the chemistry. And, you know, clutch threes with the game on the line, they made look oh so easy. Uh, Green has evolved nicely for them. Obviously a big hole without uh, KD and uh, Cousins is hurt, uh, Looney's hurt. I mean, they are battered, but, I mean, what what are they basing? Like, if they had to build a story for a comeback here in a series rally, what, what, would, what would they be basing it? on well i i think it 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 obviously starts with uh curry and thompson and the the two of them have to probably score if not 60 then 70 points so and you know if if both of them don't have a great shooting night it's probably curtains closed but even if those guys do show up i mean everyone wants to make a big deal about the uh you know the three threes at the end of game five that ultimately sort of stole that win but Draymond hit one down the stretch. Andre Iguodala hit one down the stretch. Quinn Cook had one uh, right in front of Drake, like he did earlier in the series. Um, so I, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna still need 40, 50 points from those other guys. I think if you look at what they did uh, on the road in in Houston in Game Six two rounds ago, uh, the team scored I think 118 points, and Korean Thompson only had 60. I mean, they got five threes from Andre Iguodala. Uh, they were really timely contributions from across the board. Um, so I actually think for them it would be a little bit dangerous to rely too heavily on, on Clay and Curry. I mean, they, I, don't, I think if both of them are out there gunning for 40, that's probably a good thing for Toronto because it means that no one else is doing anything. Uh, and I think what you saw uh, really right after Durant went out in, in the second quarter was the ball was moving, nothing was sticking, and I think that's the recipe for the Warriors to to send this back to Toronto for Game 7. Uh, Mike, as you're well aware, there was a lot of conversation about uh, the last three minutes for the Raptors. They had the lead, and it dissipated really fast. Uh, a lot of things were discussed about timeouts and no timeouts. Where are you in all of that? I, I don't think you should have called timeout, but I also don't think that you can really pin that, uh, pin that loss on any one thing in particular. Um, I, I think both, both teams certainly gave the other ample opportunities um, between the you know the, the bad backcourt violation and then the, yeah. the offensive the offensive foul call on boogie there was the backcourt that Draymond Green had I, that so much was happening in that last three minutes I think it's hard to really pinpoint one specific thing that happened uh, Golden State did a really good job of, of keeping the ball out of Kawhi's hands not just on that last possession but you know for him to only take two of his team's six shots, over the last three minutes, given what he had just done uh, by uncorking those 10 straight points there in the middle of the quarter. Um, you know, I, I think that speaks a little bit to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, who's going to be the second guy when you really need to, de- to depend on someone to step up uh, and, and force the issue. And, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't point to one thing and, and say that that's definitely why they, they won or didn't win. Uh, Micah, in closing, how would you rate the coaching battle, Kerr against Nurse? Uh, I think they've actually both been great. I, I, I couldn't be more impressed with with Nick Nurse really throughout the entire postseason. You've seen him 
he stuck with he stuck with Van Fleet. Uh, you know, when a lot of coaches would would have been done with him, he obviously rose rose from the ashes, and he's been great. He stuck with Danny Green, who's been great. Um, he's he's not been afraid to try new things. He's uh, starting Van Fleet in the second half as a changeup. There, I think he's been really good, and I think Steve Kerr. Um, with all the injuries that Golden State has, the fact that they're even in this, I mean, it, it speaks volumes to, to the talent that they still have. But, you know, it, this is not like he's he's going out there with the 2016 version of his role players either. I, I've been pretty impressed with what Kerr's been able to sort of band-aid together there with that roster. So I, I think they've both been great, to be honest. You are the global managing editor for NBA.com, but also the former ESPN numbers guy. Uh, what numbers in this series jump off the page for you? Oh, man. Uh, one of them that I was actually looking at this morning, we were, uh, I, I was talking earlier about Golden State's defense being great, and I think everyone thinks of them as this three-point shooting team, which is which is accurate, but, but really, you know, what, what makes Golden State at their best is when, you know, they, op- they use that three-point shooting to open up driving lanes, and Toronto's defense has held, Tor- has held Golden State to 36% shooting on drives so far in this series. That number was at 53 in the first round, 52 in the second round, and 52 in the conference finals. Golden State got outscored 32-2 on drives in Game 5 and shot just 1 of 10. I don't know how they still won, <laughs> uh, but really, like I think that number... That 37% number speaks volumes as to particularly Marcus All and Serge Ibaka's ability to really control everything going on in the inside and and re- truly turning Golden State into a make or miss three point shooting, uh, live or die by the three and nothing else team. And that's been really impressive uh, to see from Toronto. Michael, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. That's Micah Adams, Global Managing Editor for NBA.com, former ESPN numbers guy, the Twitter account at MicahAdams13. Coming up next, Sherm Hamilton. And just on the way out, when you're doing your analysis, uh, we've said this before, I call it myopic analysis. So for every faltering offense, there's probably a pretty good defense. Always the B-side to the equation. This is Raptor Shootaround, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca. Also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Raptor Shootaround, final segment for a Wednesday. Tomorrow, of course, game six day. Wall-to-wall coverage here on TSN 1050. You can watch the game on TSN as well. Let's bring in Sherman Hamilton, part of our analysis group. He does the uh, color on the Raptors radio broadcast for us, NBA TV. This guy's multi-talented, to say the very least. Sherm, how are you today? I'm good, Jim. How you doing? Good. I mean, just a reset here. After five games, where are you in this series in terms of what you've seen? I'm tired, Jim. <laughs> it's been a long five games. But uh, I think that the Raptors have still shown that they are the better team in this series. And even in game five, you know, they had a chance to win. They're up six, around two minutes left in the game, and just couldn't execute down the stretch. And you credit Golden State for being able to make enough plays to get the W. But in a one-point loss, the Raptors could easily end this series and, and been NBA champions. So I still think the Raptors are in control, and they're still confident about what they can accomplish. Yeah, I mean, you want to be respectful. You want to understand that the Warriors have the ability to come back and win this thing. But at the same time, you don't want to cancel out what the Raptors have done. Their two losses are final possession losses. Then if you go back to Game 5, uh, some pretty wacky stuff happened late in that game, including uh, Gasol getting ripped off for some foul shots. So, I mean, that, that game, I could easily recut that game and come up with a Raptors win. Oh, absolutely. And you think about it, you know, 
that play at the end where Kawhi gets double teamed and Fred, if he takes another dribble and gets into the guts of the defense and kicks it to the corner, Kyle gets a cleaner look and Draymond Green isn't able to get out there and get a piece of that shot. There are quite a few things towards the end of the game that could have changed the outcome. I mean, there's conversation about the timeout called by Nick Nurse when Kawhi Leonard goes on a personal 10-point run. And also the timeout he might have been able to call at the end of the game where it looked a bit scrambly. Maybe he could have called a timeout, set things up, and executed a very good play for the Raptors. So, again, as you know, end-of-game execution can go both ways, defensively and offensively. And the Raptors were in position, just not able to get it done. Well, I'm glad you did that because, you know, I've said a lot here about um, uh, going over the last couple of minutes and things that don't work. And and the players understand all that stuff is a 50-50 premise. And the way to deal with that is not get in that position, and that would be improving the three-point shooting. I mean, this is stunning that it goes down to a one-point loss. When you look at Golden State in that game, 20 of 42, 47.6%. The Raptors firing 8 of 32, 25%. I mean, that game really shouldn't have been close, but that's all in the Raptors' D, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You think about Golden State's ability to shoot the three. That's not uncommon for Golden State to be able to knock down that many threes, but for the Raptors to only make eight three-pointers. Look, that's a 36-point swing in terms of three-pointers. And I think at the end of the day, you know that you're going to have to score at Golden State. But what we've seen from the Raptors through four games of the series is them being able to really close down the three-point line, chase guys off, be physical, get through screens, and contest those shots. I thought there was a bit of slippage defensively for the Raptors in game five. And you could see it early. And that might have been the impact of having Kevin Durant on the floor early for Golden State. He creates another dilemma that you have to defend, and that allowed guys to get some flow offensively early in the game. But after that, I thought in the second half, their defense was a bit better, except for the last couple of threes that Clay and Steph hit to help the Golden State Warriors get the W. But you can't allow Golden State in game six to get going from the three-point line in their arena because you know their arena is going to get loud based on what happened the last time the Raptors were in town. Yeah, I try not to dwell on Game 5, but, I mean, it's it's impossible to ignore the Kevin Durant influence on that game, even in the warm-up. But when he played, I mean, he played 12 minutes, he got 11 points, three threes, two very early. And then when he went out, his departure, uh, just it was an awkward situation for both teams, and I think it altered the next four or five minutes. And, and now, you know, the story keeps going on, should he have played? And, and I don't know how the Warriors deal with that. But there is, I call it the KD cloud. I mean, I, I don't know what the effect is, but it's there, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And you think about it, when Kevin Durant went out, the Golden State Warriors went to Kevon Looney, and then they went to DeMar- uh, DeMarcus Cousins. And he came into the game, and for the first three minutes he was on the floor, he scored seven points. Significant impact. And to me, it created confidence that they had another guy that was going to be able to put some points on the board. And then, you know how it is, a teammate goes down, you start to pick up the slack. You start to try to win for the emotional side of the situation. And I think that Golden State played a very good game when Kevin Durant went down for Kevin Durant and to get this series back to Oakland. So it's just one of those situations where the adjustments didn't happen quick enough in that first half for the Raptors. It allowed Golden State to get rhythm, and Golden State did just enough in the second half to get the W. Sure, you've been around this game, you've played it, you've covered it for years. Uh, the Kevin Durant situation, uh, him playing, um, him playing nine minutes in a row, uh, suffering another injury, I mean, this is just wacky stuff. How does this even happen? What was your take on it? 
Well, I personally feel, Jim, that he shouldn't have been on the floor. Uh, with that calf strain that they said he had, you just knew the way that injury occurred that something had to be connected to the Achilles, the way that he looked back after he felt that, that pain and, and his reaction. You just knew that it was one of those tough situations that everything wasn't being disclosed. And I thought that making a decision to put him on the floor in a closeout game was a bit of panic, a bit of desperation, and a bit of a situation where all the parties involved came to a conclusion based on trying to extend this series more than the help of Kevin Durant. My personal opinion, Jim, I don't have any background knowledge on it, but I would believe that if this was a 2-2 series going into Game 5, Kevin Durant would not have been on the floor. So you take the risk, and now his career is impacted for at least another 12 months based on this. It's just a horrible situation. You never want to see a player get hurt. He's going into free agency, so that's going to impact that situation as well. It's just a tough situation. And then to see the reaction of the president of basketball operations, Bob Myers, was very interesting as well. So there's a lot of things that are happening with this Kevin Durant injury that just don't feel good. And most of all, you just feel horrible for Kevin Durant for this happening to him. Yeah, absolutely. So you touched on something I said in the first hour. I mean, if you're going to play him based on the fact that you're down 3-1 in this series, that's that doesn't have total respect for his health. I, I have a problem with that. Well, and yeah, that's what it seems like. you know. And, and to my point, I, I really think that if this series was tied 2-0, coming back to Toronto, I'd really doubt that we'd see Kevin Durant on the floor. So that's my speculation personally. But it, it, just, it just reeks of got to extend this series. He's going to help us extend it. He might not be ready to go. There is potential damage that could occur, but we need to get this thing back to Oakland. So we're going to put him out there. And I don't like that perspective. I hope I'm wrong. I hope what I'm saying is completely inaccurate. But that's the feel I have about this situation. Okay, I've got a couple scenarios I want to throw at you in the final minutes. I bounced this off of other guests, and I've said my piece on it, so I'm just sort of providing a consensus opinion for our listeners so they can hear the different takes. Um, the, the Raptors with Kawhi Leonard, obviously fantastic player, love watching him play, but I'm just wondering about the predictability of, on a nightly basis, Kawhi sort of saving a situation, then sort of leading the team forward, and, and then other people sort of chip in. And I'm not uh, you know, being negative to those that chip in. I'm just wondering... If if somebody could co-lead with him so that it, he just doesn't become predictable. What are your thoughts on that? Well, to your point, Jim, somebody else or other players have to create distraction, so to speak, so that Golden State can't just continually lock in, throw that second and third body at Kawhi sometimes, and dare other people to make plays. Look, Pascal Siakam has rode shotgun with Kawhi all season long. Now, Pascal took 15 shots and only scored 12 points. He's a better player than that. We know this to be true. Look at game one of the series. And I think Pascal, if he gets back to what he's used to doing, in a game like that in game five, the Raptors are NBA champions. So they have the firepower. They just need it all to happen at the right time. And I really think Pascal was a big key to game five. If he could have got it going offensively, he would have been one of the guys that could have helped Kawhi and helped the Raptors get over the hump. He had a bad game. You move on to game six and expect that Pascal can step up to that level. Yeah, that, that's part two is Pascal Siakam. And, and obviously uh, any kind of assessment is, is altered by his game one performance, which was 
absolutely stunning. And just as uh, from the eye test for me, hasn't looked the same. Now, obviously, let's not be silly here. Let, obviously, the, the Warriors are not letting him look the same. But at some point, he's got to fight through this. He just doesn't look, for me, comfortable or, or I don't know if confidence is the right word, but he looks a little off. Is, is that accurate? Well, I think that Draymond Green, after game one, made it a point to not allow Pascal to sneak up on him anymore. And he's taking it personally. And you got to credit Draymond Green, a former defensive player of the year. This is a guy who understands how to play defense. And Pascal is going to have to face another challenge in game six of getting through Draymond and being able to be productive. But he's been able to do it. I think that Pascal can answer the call. And as you said, some of that disruption is the fact that, look, Golden State is now aware that Pascal can do so many things on the floor. So now they're trying to take away his options as well. And they did a good job in game five. The response from Pascal in Game 6 is going to be big. Is he going to be able to fight through that and be able to put points on the board and be the Pascal that we know he can be? Uh, looking ahead to Game 6, what will tell you in Game 6 that the Raptors are going to be okay and they're going to win this thing? The start of the game, Jim. I mean, the energy that they have to come out with, the ability to really take Oracle and the fans out of the situation early, and also... For them to be able to dictate tempo a bit better than they did at Game 5, not turn the basketball over, take shots where it creates defensive balance, and make sure that Golden State doesn't get out in transition and start to run wild from the three-point line again. But they've got to come out with the right energy and offensively be able to put points on the board and keep this Oracle crowd quiet as long as they can. Sherm, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Hey, no problem, Jim. Thanks for having me. That's Sherman Hamilton, part of our Raptors broadcast crew on the radio side and works for NBA TV and appears on TSN as well. So just recapping, I mean, I ask a lot of the same questions to different guests because I want to see if we're on the right track, and, and I think it was a consensus. Uh, so let's just go over this. We defined the KD cloud, and it is there. Don't know the effect it'll have, so we'll have to see what happens in Game 6. Uh, you know, if you do a lot of studying, and there's not a lot of reference points in the NBA, but certainly in the NHL, there's a lot of 3-1 series rallies. Uh, usually, it's the team that has the home court in game seven so usually it's the it's the team that is favored that has the 3-1 series deficit and comes back and, and this is kind of a weird one because the Raptors had the better regular season and host game seven and, but I don't know if they were favored to win the NBA finals so this is kind of a variation on that but in part of that comeback usually something weird happens to sort of shift the momentum and I don't know if it is the KD cloud or not. We're going to find out. There's no way to know how this tracks, but but that has an effect, or it did in Game 5. And yet I'm, I'm sort of torn, because when we go back to Game 5, I could give you all these stats, all the things that went wrong, but they only lost by one point. And so there you are after five games with three decisive wins and two, I'm going to say, two Weasley losses that go down to the final possession. And so that's not where Golden State thought they would be. But then you go back to what do we have? We have a 3-2 series lead. And how does that play out? Well, it goes a game at a time. And so, you know, you have opened the door. I think Bruce Arthur was the guy who said, well, if you don't win game five, that's the door you opened. And I think we would all agree that Golden State has put their foot in the door because the Raptors couldn't close it. The question is, do they keep their foot in the door? Do the Raptors kick them out of the threshold and go 
go on to win. Well, that's all up to the Raptors. But there is a growing concern about the predictability of Kawhi Leonard being the guy who holds this team in and other people not really sort of stepping up to the situation until it's been established that Kawhi is saving the day. And I think we had a number of guests that would testify that, yeah, somebody has to jump in there earlier so it's not a one-man band. And the reason I go down that road is nothing against Kawhi Leonard. He's absolutely stunning to watch. But when in this business you become predictable, you become beatable. And we don't want that to happen for the Raptors. Siakam is a, is a going concern because I think if you go to the eye test, forget about all the uh, the numbers and all that. If you go to the eye test, it doesn't look the same. But again, you know, the, the other phrase I came up with today was myopic analysis. That's the one, one-way street look at things. And while Siakam hasn't done his job because he absolutely shot the lights out with 32 points in game one, it's because he hasn't been allowed to do that. And that's all on Draymond Green. And of course, Draymond Green has been there many times and understands what he can get away with and how he can get under Siakam's skin. So it's time for Pascal Siakam to understand that he's got to come up with a solution and, and just has to contribute more. And you know, if you reunite that one-two punch of uh, Leonard and Siakam, that was unbeatable in earlier rounds. And, and maybe Kyle chips in more, though we had people testify. I don't know if you can get any more of Kyle Lowry. He's done a really nice job. So those are some of the concerns going into Game 6. We'll have extensive coverage tomorrow, later on today uh, with uh, Game Day with Matt Cause. He'll go through a lot of this. But up next is Leafs Lunch with Andy Petrillo. Thanks for stopping by and joining us in Raptors Shoot Around. You're listening on TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, the TSN and iHeartRadio apps.